Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording the show on Wednesday, March 6, 2019, which means that we're in pre-launch mode, at least as far as Captain Marvel is concerned. Aaron, have you managed to see this movie yet? Not yet. I am not important enough for Marvel to uh, invite me to anything. I am so far <laughs> under their radar. Matter of fact, when Kevin Feige listens to the show, he hears you fine. But when I speak, it turns into <laughs> from the peanuts. I, I seriously, <laughs> seriously doubt that. More to the point, I, I was lucky enough to score an invite, thanks to my friends at Allied. But Oh, how was the show? Well, you see, but this is the thing. I was supposed to see it on Monday, and then on Sunday night... We had a freak snowstorm up here, and Boston basically uh, shut down. So it made no sense to drive down from New Hampshire. But there was another press screening on Tuesday night. So I made plans to go to that with an unnamed individual who flaked on me. And so I missed my two windows. So what? I have not, I'm, I'm still in the dark in regard to Captain Marvel. Oh, sigh of disappointment. I am. I am. Okay. Especially, you know, when I look over at, at Rotten Tomatoes and. I see that right now, as, as the first wave of reviews have come in, and Captain Marvel is sitting at 85%, which is reasonably respectful. Yeah. Speaking of Rotten Tomatoes, now on our last show, we talked about the whole online trolls thing, how they were trying to artificially drive down the audience score. Did you see, though, that Rotten Tomatoes, in response to that, revised its policy in regards to audience scores? What, do you got to scan a ticket now before you leave a review? What's going on? <laughs> They are now, from here on in, fans will only be allowed to rate or review a movie after it's actually been released to theaters. I, I know, it's a stunning uh, idea. Uh, okay, that's a stopgap temporary that'll work until the movie comes out, but then they can leave whatever review they want. So Yeah, the same guys who were upset about what Brie Larson said in that interview with Marie Claire magazine, you know, the whole thing about how she wanted to see a bit more diversity when it came to the entertainment reporters at who came to to cover the press events for a film. After what Zachary Levi did, the trolls are shut down into the whole uh, Captain Marvel Shazam thing. Right. We got a great letter from Greg B. of North Carolina. into Because, again, I, I did not entirely understand the DC has a Captain Marvel and Marvel has a Captain Marvel and how this came about, but... He, he did an excellent job of, of sort of delineating uh, that history. You've got that letter, right, Aaron? Or? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll read through it real quick. Okay. On the Mud Show, you mentioned the name confusion between the Captain Marvel and Shazam heroes, and I thought I might be able to provide a bit of context. The original comic book superhero called Captain Marvel was published by Fawcett Publications in the 1940s. In the 1950s, courts ruled the character to be an infringement on the Superman character, and they were forced to cease publication. Now, in the 1960s, Marvel Comics had a few characters called Captain Marvel that, other than the name, weren't similar to the original Captain Marvel or Superman at all. Then, 1970s, DC Comics purchases the rights to the original Captain Marvel character. Now, since their possession of Superman copyright, it would allow them to use this character. 
by this time, Marvel had established a copyright on the name, but not the character. This is where it gets kind of confusing. So DC couldn't have a comic book, TV show, or movie by that name. For a while, DC had a comic book called Shazam, and they called the hero Captain Marvel within the stories, but they eventually just started calling the character Shazam. Because of all of this, DC wouldn't even be able to title the upcoming movie Captain Marvel for legal reasons, even if they wanted to. So, to the people that went to drag down Captain Marvel film score, they can just take a moment to chew on that truth nugget, according to this listener letter that I'm just going to take at Gospel Truth with no further research whatsoever. <laughs> well, okay. You know, and, and it's such a, an authoritative voice. Who could question that? Well, no, I, it, it sounds, I mean, as I remember it, there was a, you know, Shazam was called Captain Marvel, and that was owned by DC, and I and there was a Captain Marvel before that. I wasn't aware of the timeline it going all the way back to the 40s or it being put out by Fawcett Publications. So there is a lot of extra stuff in there that I had no idea about, and I'm very, very happy that someone was willing to look a little bit deeper and educate me in in that because I just wasn't willing to look it up myself. Well, thank you then, Greg B. from yeah, thank North Carolina. You. And while we're talking about Lister Mail, we also talked about the Marvel Day at Sea entertainment programming on uh, the Disney Magic. And Cheryl P. W was nice enough to, to reach out. It, it, it turns out Cheryl P. really lucked out in October of 2017 because she and her family wound up sailing out of New York City aboard the Magic on the very first cruise to feature the whole Marvel Day at Sea day-long entertainment event. And she makes it sound like a pretty fun deal. And, and again, you've got that, right? Yep, I'll read that one too. I recently heard you talk about the Marvel Day at Sea. I was on the inaugural sailing out of New York City. It was amazing, and I'm not even a Marvel fan. A couple of clarifications. There's no issue with Marvel characters signing a Disney autograph book. They all signed my sons, and I asked the character handler beforehand, and they said it was fine. Now, this is where I have to interrupt. But mm. did they sign a specific page that was already had contained a signature from a Disney character? That's the real question we need the answer to. We know that they could sign the book. But mm -hmm. in, in Jim's story, it was they couldn't sign the same page. So look again and see if there's any Marvel signatures on top of the same page as a Disney signature, and then get back to us, because I really want to know the answer to that. So, But thank okay. you for clarifying there. The other point was that Doctor Strange was on from the beginning. His stage show was not so great, but I'd have to think that they noticed that and improved it since the inaugural sailing. Now, the show on deck... Amazing! All cap letters, exclamation points. Spider-Man climbed up the funnel. All the Marvel characters were together. There was a video greeting from Stan Lee, who was still alive then. Actual Marvel animators uh, that you could watch in the theater. And they were interviewing the guy while he drew an elaborate Spider-Man illustration. The only issue was that there was so much to do in that one day I felt I needed to plan an Excel spreadsheet because so many ongoing parallel activities. Even the music playing in the hallways that day was all Marvel. It was really a spectacular event. Since we were on the inaugural Marvel Day at Sea, we noticed a lot of executives floating around the ship. I don't know if she meant that pun or not, but good job there. Uh, it was pretty cool. Kind regards, Cheryl. Thank you, Cheryl, for that very nice letter there. And again, Aaron and I love giving from our listeners, by the way, folks. So feel free to pass along your thoughts and 
comments regarding to the, the Marvelous Disney podcast here. It saves us uh, having to prepare our own thoughts. <laughs> say we, shh, don't oh, let the peek behind the curtain. Sorry, now. sorry. Okay, <laughs> all right. I, well, speaking of preparing the show, I, I, just today, I didn't get to see Captain Marvel in theaters, but did get to see her pop up in a very strange place. Nancy and I were grocery shopping earlier today, and I'm in the produce aisle, and, and here's... Carol Danvers staring up at me from a banana. What? This sounds like a dirty joke setup. Come on. I know. I know. I'm I'm behaving myself here. I wanted to understand what I was looking at, so I did a little digging, and it turns out the Dole Food Company has teamed up with Marvel Studios and the Walt Disney Company to launch what they're calling the Powering the Hero Within Healthy Living Initiative. Now, I'm, I got to say, I'm disappointed that it's not Chiquita Banana, just so they could have Captain Marvel holding a bowl of fruit on top of her head. <laughs> I think that would be a great image. Just replace oh. the Chiquita Banana girl with the Captain Marvel suit. All right. So <laughs> evidently, this started back in February 26th and is running through May 5th. It's a, obviously a cross-promotional effort between Dole and the film. And they're featuring things like special recipes and educational content that's being specifically created to shine a spotlight on, on women's health needs, which, which is always a good thing. Yes. There's also a dedicated Pinterest page. And, and then, you know, it's just one of these things where, depending on where you're standing in the produce aisle, you get to see Captain Marvel or Nick Fury or Marvel or Goose the Cat on supposedly tens of millions of dull bananas and pineapples in grocery stores throughout North America. Is, I want to put an eye patch on a pineapple now. <laughs> I think Nick Fury, especially in the way he is in Captain Marvel, should be on potatoes because ah. it's, it's eyes. I'm with you. Okay. Speaking of Marvel characters turning up in weird places, did you see where Tuesday of this week, mm -hmm. Jared Leto tweeted out an image from the set of Morbius, the, the living vampire? Yeah, and it was obscured by the uh, clapper that we were the, yeah. you know, take five, clack. Yeah, so, so that was kind of blocking everything. You got to see his eyes peeking through the clacker and mm -hmm. uh, a little disheveled hair. And that was really about it. Yeah, and the line that went with the tweet was, what, what one week down, 11 to go. So I guess as they continue with production of Morbius the Living Vampire, maybe we'll get lucky. We'll get some more behind the scenes images because... We're a long way out from this movie, Aaron. You know, I just checked, and it's not due to hit theaters till July of 2020. So we're a good 16 months out. And another little bit of news that did just break within an hour or so, mm -hmm. Tyrese Gibson from Universal's uh, Fast and Furious film franchise is joining the cast. He's uh, joining, obviously, Jared, along with Matt Smith from Doctor Who and Jared Harris uh, from Mad Men. Noteworthy yet on uh, the role that, that Tyrese will be playing. Hmm. I know we talk about movies. I know we talk about TV shows all the time. But have you seen any of these Marvel Rising Ultimate comic? Well, I don't think you could call them animated shorts because they're it's limited. They're motion comics, right? These seem to be next generation versions of these things. They're over at... Marvel HQ, the, the, the website. Right. Uh, and by the way, the, the HQ exclamation point, it, it Stan would approve. <laughs> but they're six or seven minutes long. Mm -hmm. They combine comic style graphics, paneling with dialogue, sound, video editing, and digitally animated motion effects. So I guess you're right. These are motion comics, but yeah. 
They've been doing those for a little while now. Yeah, but but the look of these was different. And in fact, the first one out out of the gate, Marvel Rising Ultimate Comic, Miss Marvel, which has uh, Miss Marvel tangling with Loki over, I guess, and has Guardian Glove. Okay. But it was a lot of fun, good, sharp writing. And if this is any any indication, the next five are definitely worth seeking out, if only for the guest appearances by Thor, Doctor Strange, Hawkeye, and Captain America. But while we're talking about television stuff, have you seen the schedule for WonderCon? No. Okay, it's being held in Anaheim Convention Center March 29th through March 31st. And this is kind of a traditional thing. They bring the, the cast down of various te- you know, TV shows and you know have them panel. But the one I thought you'd really be interested in is uh, they're doing a Legion panel. Oh. They're going to bring the team out and talk about the third and final season. Yeah, that better be a heck of a send-off because I'm disappointed that they're snipping it on that one. It seems like all the shows that I don't get into go on mm. for years and years, and the ones where I go, oh, this is brilliant, they go, oh, season three, we're done. Uh, oh. Just this week, Grey's Anatomy passed ER as the longest-running medical drama on television and I don't know if they count seasons or they count the number of episodes, but it, it was a significant milestone. And what's the old cliche? How could I miss you if you won't go away? <laughs> right, yeah, you know, yeah. Nancy likes that show, by the way, so I, I guess I shouldn't say things like this. That's a wonderful program that I've never watched. <laughs> the other thing that, that me personally makes me want to get on a plane is on Saturday, and I guess this would be the 30th, in the Anaheim Arena, which is uh, sort of adjacent to the convention center, they're going to be holding a Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. panel Ooh. where three months ahead of when the first episode of this season drops, they're going to show the crowd in the arena episode one of season six, oh. which I want to know what's going on with Colson, and I know they won't give it all away. Right. Yeah, I'd, I'd want to see that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, and for Cloak and Dagger fans, I guess you should mention, they're also paneling. Uh, likewise, there will be signings uh, with the cast of both Cloak and Dagger and Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Didn't see uh, anything set up for a signing for Legion, which I thought was kind of crummy. But anyway, if I, I can convince Nancy to buy me a plane ticket and send me to Anaheim, while I'm there, I think what I'm going to do is go over to Disney's California Adventure and grab myself a seat on the, uh, I guess they used to call it Mickey's Fun Wheel. It's the giant Ferris wheel that I think is now called the Pixar Pal Around. But anyway, you get 160 feet up, which gives you a killer view of what used to be a Bugs Land, which is where our superhero-themed area is now being constructed there. And there's a wall that's been kind of intriguing, folks. A wall? We'll get to that after our commercial break. And we're back. And yes, we were going to talk about a wall. But before we do that, I'm going to assume, folks, that if you listen to the Marvelous Disney podcast, you may listen to the other shows that we do here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. And just recently, we dropped the show looking at Lucasfilm. We were, the, the all that news broke about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And, and Aaron, who edits all these shows, has to listen to them while he's working on them. And 
there was something there that caught your attention and not in a good way, Aaron. Can you explain? Yeah, when you guys were talking about the droid factory, I just started off from impossible to impossibler. And mm -hmm. so my first question is, are these going to be the most super lightweight plastic, like, you know, a, a, an empty milk jug type lightweight plastic where you can just tip them over? Because if not, you've got 500 problems from the word go. Mm -hmm. The first problem is, is well, do, do you know, are these plastic or are these aluminum droids? Start off there. Well, okay, so are, are we talking about the droids that people actually going to buy in the, the droid yeah, shop? Yeah, yeah, the ones that the you would take home. That one that are supposedly free roaming through the park. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be free roaming anywhere, but we'll get to that later. Uh, okay. it, the ones, well, the ones that you would buy to take home, I, I'm going to start off by guessing that they're plastic. Well, Carly spoke at length about these and the show I recorded with Len, they were told at this media event that when you finish building your droid out of, you know, the various parts that are coming down the conveyor, you were then going to be given the equivalent of a backpack to put your droid in while you walk through the land. And, oh, and it would supposedly react to certain things within the land from within the backpack, but you were going to be discouraged from bringing it out and letting it wander loose in the land. Okay, well, I've been a member of the R2 Builders Club for about a decade. I'm building an all-aluminum R2, and that's going to clock in at over 350 pounds when I'm done. Mm -hmm. You want to put 350 pounds on your back and walk around a park all day? Uh, well, sometimes I like to be carried, Aaron. You know, it's a theme park. I get tired. Even the plastic droids, where they're all plastic, once you get the electronics and all that stuff put in, you know, so it can roll around and has motors and, and batteries, which are extremely heavy. You're looking at 150 pounds, even on a plastic droid. So here's the problem. If you have a free roaming droid, that's just wandering around aimlessly, there are not enough sensors in the world to detect all of the people that are going to be walking around Star Wars land. The droid will just freeze because there's just too much data. The second problem is if it's moving, small children don't realize that there's should be a human controlling that they'll just jump in front of a 300 pound robot going 20 miles an hour and expect it to stop on a dime so it can greet them and if it's free roaming and doesn't see the kid that kid's going to be going to the hospital because a 300 pound droid just hit it at 20 miles an hour so there's one big big reason why there's no free roaming anything going to be happening anytime soon at star wars land quick side note to back up aaron's story here how many of you remember the living character initiative thing program that Disney put out there. Uh, some of you may have seen, for example, Lucky the Dinosaur when he was wandering around Animal Kingdom Park, or you may have seen Muppet Mobile Labs when that used to roll around uh, Epcot Center. Mm. But the one that directly ties into this is in, back in 2009, they built a Wally, -E. and it, I mean, dead on, absolutely on model, amazing looking creation that could mimic the expressions from the film and open and close its hands and roll around. And the very thing that Aaron is talking about here, the, the weight of this figure, I, depending on who you talk to, I heard, I've heard from one Imagineer with 600 pounds, I heard from another Imagineer with 900 pounds. Mm -hmm. The terror was that the very thing that Aaron's talking about, that some child, small child, would see 
Wally would rush up to the robot and accidentally get its foot caught under the tread and end up with a crushed toe or a whole mangled foot or something like that. And Disney suddenly found themselves with this very expensive thing that they really couldn't use. And in fact, I I remember they brought it out, I want to say, for the first D23 Expo back in September of 2009. And even with full-sized adults, they it was just a question of while he was a photo op. Mm-hmm. They you know rolled him into place, and only when he was absolutely locked down did they then bring in guests and allow them to have their photographs taken with him. And again, if you look at all of the concept art that's done at street level of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, when you see images inside of Black Spire Outpost, there are droids everywhere. Mm-hmm. So obviously, this is going to be a problem. Well, the other thing is, I mean, at that weight, I mean, they put so much money into building the land. If you mm-hmm. take a 300-pound droid and you drive it into drywall, you have to replace all that drywall because, I mean, it's going to do a lot of damage. So they don't want to mm-hmm. just let people running droids at full speed around without proper training on how to operate it and be aware of your surroundings type of chit-chat before they let them out of the park with it. The other thing is... You've only got so much battery life. You can't go up and down steps, which means, you know, you got to either have make sure that the entirety of Star Wars land is entirely smoothly paved with very, very gradual slopes because you don't want a lot of up and down. You don't want a runaway droid because the Mm -hmm. hill was too steep. So there's a lot of that that has to be taken into consideration. And then the battery life, you get to one side of the park and back again, your droid is going to need to be charged, which means you're going to have to sit there and plug in somewhere for like five or six hours while the battery recharges because it's a big honking battery. And then the other part that I almost got like shaken mad about this, like what a scam. The fact that Disney says like there will be this little component that you can plug in or whatever and it will recognize other droids in the park and it will chit chat with them or whatever and recognize other things in the park. And that's all great and cool for that moment. But when you get home, do you Mm -hmm. know anyone else in town that happened to go to Disneyland or World that happened to also spend 10 to 15 grand or whatever the final price is on a fully kitted out droid so they can bring it over and so it can stand within five feet of your droid so the two chips can recognize each other and talk for five minutes? Or is your only other option to cart up R2 and ship them to California or Florida every time you want to go to a Star Wars land so he can interact. It's like once you buy that function, once you leave the park, you're never going to use that again. And so it was like, yeah, it's great for the moment, but I would rather see Disney say, by the way, while you're in the park, here, use this. It'll make it extra cool. And then on the way out, give it back to us. <laughs> and again, I, I admire It's like a magic band, right? You know, I mean, magic bands, there's something where, I mean, they don't have to give them back, but it's something mm-hmm. that's disposable that isn't almost like, hey, I'm going to charge you an extra $200 for a function you can only use today. Because mm-hmm. if you can't travel around the whole entirety of Star Wars land with your droid running around mm-hmm. fully intact, once you buy it, your only real option is to play with it within the confines of that shop for like five minutes and then have it carted up and shipped home. And that's the end of it. Or, I mean, I, I just don't see what they can do with it. I mean, I get that there's interactive spots and it would be cool to roll up in a back alley and have R2 point out, by the way, there's a secret over here. That would be mm-hmm. totally cool. And I'm, I'm down with that. But there are going to be so many obstacles and hazards and dangers that I don't see it coming to fruition totally. Now, to jump very quickly to the whole automated droids, 
Mm. I don't think they're going to be automated, but I do know that in the R2 Builders Club, they have something called stealth controllers. And basically, you can it's a controller so small, you can hide it in your pocket with each hand in a separate pocket and a controller in each hand. So you can control the entire functions of an R2. So I'd expect that if there's going to be any droids rolling around that seem like they're doing it freely, there is a cast member very nearby with controllers in their pockets making that happen for them, but they're not going to program something just because the sensors are not reliable enough with a thousand people in a park. Uh, it, it just it can't detect that much stuff and act reliably. It'll just sit there and freeze. Okay, so long story short for your theme park fans, this basically sounds that like the default for the droids is going to be push the trash can 2.0. Yeah, and just to wrap up the whole the whole idea of in the R2 Builders Club, everybody mm -hmm. always has the idea of I'm going to automate my R2 and the Jedi Council, which are the members that make sure all the parts are accurate, screen size and fit all of the other parts, etc. Ensure the quality of what you're getting out of the club. They basically shut that talk down right away. It's like, look, man, you can't. If you hit a kid, if you run into a wall, you damage your droid, you damage the property. It's just a liability in a hundred different directions. We don't endorse it. We don't encourage it. If you want to do it, you're completely on your own to try whatever. But that's not us. <laughs> you know, That's your own okay. thing. And so I would expect that I, I know that certain members of certain uh, clubs are talking to certain people at very large corporations that have a land named after Star Wars uh, that they they can't talk about anything, but I would be certain that a Jedi Council member would talk to an Imagineer of, you can absolutely not have a droid running freely unsupervised. Okay, duly noted. Uh, one final note here. Early on, when, for example, uh, The Wizarding World of Harry Potter first opened in June of 2010, when you went to Ollivander's and had the wand picks you experience the wand you got was was lovely because it was the equivalent of the camera ready ones that had been used in the eight harry potter films but it didn't do anything it was only in 2014 that we saw the they launched sort of wands 2.0 the one and they created these illusions throughout the land that you know depending on how you waved your wand and that sort of thing the illusion would come to life and Really, what we're talking about with the droids, and for that matter, we'll get into the whole lightsaber thing on another show, because I'm, I'm sure you have opinions about that as well. Yep. But <laughs> this was really about creating a revenue stream, and you buy the wand, and the very thing you said, you know, parents were, well, my kid takes it home, and it doesn't make anything happen. It's like, well, of course, you've left the wizarding world. But if you come back... Yeah, but R2 does not stop working once you leave Tatooine. Well, he works across all know, the planets I, I, and all the I, galaxies. I get what you're saying. When it comes to R2, when you get him home, essentially he's going to be sitting in a very nice decked out corner because usually people just use him as a very nice light display mm -hmm. with the blinkies and whatnot. And unless you've got the periscope lifter and all the crazy accoutrement for the dome for every single gadget, usually it's just usually a prop that sits very nicely in the corner, very beautifully. I and wonder, so, though, if you buy multiple ones, if they'll interact with each other. Oh, I'm certain as long as the chips are within a certain radius, that's the whole point of the, I, I mean, they had grand ideas, but it, it was just like one simple fact of these droids are very heavy and very dangerous and you can't mm -hmm. just let them wander freely. And that was where all of the other plans fell apart. 
You know, I mean, they had wonderful, wonderful ideas. And when you get a droid to the right spot and the chip recognizes a thing and R2 points out something to you, you are going to have a truly bliss-filled moment at that time. I have no doubt about that. It's just Mm -hmm. that they've got one stumbling block of how do we make these 100% perfectly safe. And it may be something as simple as they paint a yellow or red stripe down the pathway. They put in a little uh, camera sensor that detects where the stripe is, and it is forced to stay on that path at all times. Interesting. Okay. Well, a couple of things. We're going to have to wait till Carly gets back from her first visit to uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, because it sounds like she's going to clean out the store of droids and we'll we'll circle back to her and talk to her about how they interact with one another once they get home right i think again the all of the issues that you have brought up are going to be fascinating to watch anaheim deal with out ahead of orlando well next time you talk to someone one of the imagineers anyone that's working on this i want this to be at the top list of the of the questions answered for me because i mean yeah you can build a lightsaber and that'll be cool and you know whether it's up to your par level of coolness is up to you personally versus the price tag that's all going to be throughout star wars land and every trinket you buy there will be mm-hmm. kind of cool really cool and oh my god where's all my money mortgage my house please give that to me uh, you know people <laughs> will be begging for the millennium falcon like i have a mcmansion that's worth five million dollars i'll trade it right now for the falcon you know that's yeah, gonna happen but anyway yeah. um it's gonna be very very awesome and i want everything to succeed but i really want to know if this is a problem that they're facing, if they have a way around it, and if not, what's the backup plan? Okay. All right. We'll definitely pursue this on future shows. Now, circling back to where we started our break, we were talking about if you get up on the Pixar Pal around, the old Mickey Fun Wheel, and looking down into what used to be the 1.3 acre area of Bugs Land, you can see they flattened it. This was where the pendulum ride was going, and now it's the Spider-Man shooter. And you look down into the construction site, and it's been flattened, except for this one chunk of wall that's been left in place. You know, it, it, it kind of looks, forgive me for mentioning yet another comic book franchise, but, you know, the, those in Hellboy, you <laughs> know, the, the, the monoliths that, that the Nazis erected, yeah, you know, yeah. to... to in order to to raise the the demon child from the depths of hell, it, it looks like one of those. Sweet, out in the middle of the website or the construction site, but it's not that. Surprise to all you people who thought Disney was evil. No, it's it's actually it's being done for tax purposes. <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to tell you a story, and you're going to tell me if this is exactly what's happening. <laughs> okay, okay. When I was a little kid, my grandfather built a house. And uh, he left the siding off of, I think it was like the west side of the house. And the reason he left the siding off, for decades, I'm talking like from the 60s through the 90s, was because it was then an uncompleted house and he didn't have to pay a certain amount of taxes because of it. You're not far off, okay? It turns out if you demolish a building but leave a single wall in place (laughs) according to tax codes it's not a new building it's a renovation disney did this exact same thing when they were building new fantasy land at the magic kingdom they took the entire twenty thousand leagues ride through which included this 
massive show building where they used to take the subs in and you supposedly went under the North Pole and you visited Atlantis and you know, were attacked by a squid. And I mean, all of these show scenes and what they did when they, they were pulling down that ride is they left one wall up, which they then incorporated into the Voyage of the Little Mermaid ride. And for tax purposes, that this saved the company tens of millions of dollars. Wow. And that one chunk of wall that people could view from the Pixar pal around wheel, when they get serious about building the Spider-Man ride through, that will just be folded in. And again, for tax purposes, like your, your, your grandfather with the unfinished house, it's like, oh, well, come visit our wonderful renovation. It's like, renovation? This is an entirely new building. No, that wall back there, it, you know, has always been there. So we just built out from that. We're about to see Disney do this exact same thing at Epcot Center, where they are flattening uh, much of the old Comunicore Center of Future World to create this amazing new green space that will, in effect, start the party that happens when people walk around World Showcase and and sample the food or food and wine or visit the flower flavored food booths for flower and garden or the you know holidays around the world or that sort of thing. But yeah, they did same thing. They're going to pull down most of the buildings, hmm. you know, and, and leave up a wall here, a wall there, and it's like, oh, it's a renovation. Now, to pivot this in a Marvel Universal direction, we, we talked on a previous show about the Marvel Mania restaurant that was built inside the park. It shut down after 14, 15 months. And then they took this restaurant and retooled it. It then became Van Helsing's Fortress Dracula. Am I, am I pronouncing it? Okay. This is an attraction they created that sort of keyed off of the Van Helsing the movie they did with Hugh Jackman, which, Ooh. by the way, was supposed to launch a whole series and, and didn't. They've been kickstarting that bike, then it just won't run, will it? It seems like decades I now. I don't know if you saw the news coming out of Universal Fantastic Worlds. Word has been sort of dribbling out about the other lands. And we, you know, again, we knew that there was going to be a Harry Potter component. We knew that there was going to be Nintendo, but evidently one of the worlds that they're going to, or the lands that are going to be featured in Fantastic World is Universal Classic Monsters World. I hope they have the courage to paint everything in black and white and gray tone. But here's the thing. There's an entire generation of moviegoers that won't watch anything that's in black and white. Hell, you know, Disney's actually run up against this. There are kids today that... You know, when you try to show them a classic Disney animated film, be it a Pinocchio or or a Dumbo, you know, it's something like that. They're like, oh, it's hand-drawn. There's a reason that the company is doing things like the Tim Burton Dumbo, which debuts later this month, or for that matter, the Tom Hanks Pinocchio that just recently got postponed. I'm, I forget for, for what reason. We need Saturday morning cartoons back and cartoons from when you get home from school. Yeah, but these days, they're not on television. They're on your tablet or they're on your phone. So we're sounding like such whiny old men here. Get off my lawn. Okay. We'll tell you what, folks. When Aaron and I record our next Marvelous Disney podcast, we will have seen, the both of us, Captain Marvel, and we will be able to talk about that. <laughs> Got to mention the other shows we do here because Aaron does a lot of work editing these things. We have the Disney Dish, which I do with Lentesta. 
We have looking at Lucasfilm with the amazing Dan Z, Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. We have fine tuning with Drew Taylor. And we also have I Want That, which is about Disney merch. We're just getting that started. Michelle Valladolid. If you could do us a favor, head on over to iTunes when you get the chance and rate our shows there. Plus, again, we, we, we love to hear from you in regard to what you'd like us to talk about on future shows. But for now, I guess I got to go start lifting weights because you're, you're really worrying me about these heavy R2-D2s. You know, <laughs> They're not light. They're not light. That's it for this week's show, folks. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.